Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Well, that is a uh, wonderful song and a wonderful truth. And uh, we're here in the room singing that just now, and you're at home listening, watching, maybe singing along, hopefully singing along. Uh, but this sermon is a text of Scripture that, uh, that really challenges us because it takes the truth of that song, and what we just sang about, and it meets reality. And it's easy when everything is going great for us to stand up and sing, our God is awesome and great and he's a healer and he's victory and he's one that gives us the strength that we need. But what happens... What happens when life meets that truth that we just sang about and we go through a period of suffering and difficulty and challenge? Do we still believe the truths that we just sang about? A number of weeks ago, my youngest son prayed to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. We were talking with him about that decision, and this upcoming weekend, we've got a privilege. Actually, if you're watching this at 11 o'clock on Sunday, we've already had baptism service at 9.30 here at the church, and we'll have baptized four little ones uh, who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, and Nathan's one of those. And when he prayed that night to put his faith and trust in Jesus, he prayed a prayer like this. He said, Lord Jesus, help me to follow you like your disciples followed you. And that's such a a beautiful prayer. It's an insightful prayer. It was a convicting prayer for me. But let me share something about that. The followers of Jesus, as they walked with Jesus in the Gospels, the the, the cool things that happened in the Gospels, there was a moment in time in in their history where those things kind of stopped meaning that they had watched Jesus heal and minister and teach and preach and and touch the lepers and and heal those who were sick, like we looked at last week when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. But then there was a period of time where they took Jesus, the one that they had followed, for three years, and they hung Jesus on a cross, and they buried him in a tomb, and the disciples were sitting frightened in an upper room. And then after that, as they started preaching the good news of the resurrected Jesus, the disciples were the ones that were arrested, were thrown in into prison, and all of them saved John died a martyr's death, and John suffered persecution. So when my son prayed, Lord Jesus, help me to follow help me to follow you, like the disciples followed you, folks, that is a very real prayer, acknowledging that the life of the follower of Jesus is a life that will include suffering. Peter affirmed that in this passage of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Uh, this is a tremendously important passage for us as Jesus followers, but it's a challenging passage for us as well. Join with me as we read what Peter writes to his readers. He starts off, dear friends or beloved. It's a term of endearment and affection which is important because what he's going to write to them is not easy for them to hear or experience. He writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. 
because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer uh, according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There's a key verse there. It's verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian. There are only three instances of the word Christian used in the New Testament. This is the third and final instance. And it is often used or most likely used by those outside the body of Christ, the body of faith, who labeled the followers of Jesus Christians because they wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. They wouldn't stop talking about Christ. Christ was the embodiment of everything they did, their behavior, their their language, the way they spoke, what they said. And so it was a label given by outsiders to those who were followers of Jesus as an indicator of who they were. Our mission at Wilkesboro Baptist Church is to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus, to be Christians. Now in 2021, the term Christian has all sort of other connotations. There are, uh, there are all sorts of types of Christians and those who claim Christianity, and it doesn't carry with it maybe the same exact connotation that it did in Peter's day. But I will say this, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then we're going to experience suffering. If we're going to be genuine Christians, then the life that awaits us is not always a life of comfort and a life of ease and a life that lacks difficulty. Sometimes it'll be a life that embraces suffering. Let me say this very clearly at the outset. All too often in uh, contemporary Christianity, in churches, in revival meetings, and, and when pastors preach the gospel, we stand up and say something like, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus, and he'll save you and forgive you and take you to heaven. And that is absolutely true. But all too often when we say that and we share that, we share that in a way that comes across, man, that's so easy. Now, no, trusting Jesus is tremendously simple. But I want to make something abundantly clear. The Bible makes it, uh, makes it a reality that when we trust Jesus to be our Savior, Christ is asking way more than just that we bow our heart and ask Jesus to come inside. Now, now that is the starting point for it. But when he invites us to trust him, he's inviting us to follow him. He's actually asking us to give up every part of who we are and every part of our lives and devote ourselves to being a follower of Jesus in our attitude, in our demeanor, in our behavior, in our money, in everything that we are. We're to follow Christ with everything. It is a challenging call. Now, what I would say to you that that are listening, those of you that are watching, I would say this, following Jesus is no easy thing. If you want to do something worthwhile, if you want to do something that matters, if you want to do something that lasts forever and forever, then by all means, join us and follow Jesus. Because it is the most worthwhile call that you will ever, ever accept. But it is by no means easy. It is a big deal. And Peter uh, focuses on why it's a big deal in this passage of Scripture. 
He, he lists four responses to following Jesus and suffering. This passage is all about the suffering that Jesus experienced and then by extension, what that means for us as a church following Jesus or followers of Christ experiencing suffering. Each of those responses comes with a negative and then it comes with a positive. So here's the first one. Don't be surprised at suffering. Rejoice. Instead of being surprised, we need to rejoice. Now, what did he mean? He said, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. What does he mean by the fiery trial? Earlier in our study in 1 Peter, we unpacked some things that trials can mean in the life of the believer based on some New Testament examples. Okay, David Helm lists it this way. He said a trial could be any of these four things. It could be a season where we lack provision, power, or protection. That's one example of a trial. Another example of a trial is a time when we are verbally or physically persecuted. Probably that is more specific to what Peter means in this context, but it's not limited to that, but a time of persecution. Or it could be, thirdly, a time of pain where we see a loved one wasting away. And I know people in our church that are going through this or have gone through this recently. The difficulty of watching someone suffer in a way that we can't alleviate their difficulty and their suffering and watching them pass. That is an example of a trial. And then fourthly, a dark moment when we're fending off an attack from our enemy, Satan. And those are examples of trials. And what Peter is saying to his readers, don't be surprised when these things happen to you. Maybe specifically he was meaning the trial that would come about based on persecution. Peter wrote during a time when Nero was the emperor of Rome. And under Nero's rule, we'll learn in just a little bit at the end of the sermon, Nero was a violent, vile man. He was self-absorbed. He viewed himself as a deity. He, he was murderous. He was hateful. He was ferocious and vile and violent in the way that he carried himself out. He was probably the emperor under which both Peter and Paul were martyred for their Christian faith. And yet Peter had written earlier in chapter 3, this should really shake us, submit to governing authorities, and he included the emperor in that qualification, in that expectation. But it might mean the fiery trial of persecution that was coming their way. Why did Peter write that? Why did he say, don't be surprised at the trial coming your way? Because folks, if we're a follower of Jesus and we want to share in his glory, then we have to share in his sufferings. Notice what Peter wrote. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. Folks, don't be surprised when you get tested. Don't be surprised when suffering comes your way. It should be expected. Now, we avoid it. We try to avoid it. And by the way, I try to avoid it. I try not to suffer any chance I get. Right? I mean, we, we don't need to walk into it thinking, man, I'm going to suffer today and I'm going I'm to enjoy it. Peter doesn't say enjoy it. He doesn't, he doesn't say that it's wrong to try to avoid it. What he says is, don't be surprised when you can't do anything about it and it comes your way. Here's why. Catch verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. There's a, a biblical truth here that is poignant and wonderful. Jesus, when he prayed in John chapter 17, this is the night before his crucifixion, he bowed and prayed that great high priestly prayer. And he said this, Father, glorify me in this hour, in this trial that's to come. 
Let me get it exactly right. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before you before the world existed. That's John 17, 5. Jesus is praying that right before he was going to go to the cross, right before he was going to be beaten and he was going to be crucified, right before his sufferings. Jesus connected the glory of the Father and the glory that he was going to experience with the suffering that he was going to face. Let me say it this way. There is no glory in the Christian experience without suffering. We would not have the opportunity to share in the glory of God, the wonder of God, the majesty of God, the heaven that we look forward to. We would not be able to share in any of that had Christ not gone to the cross and suffered for on our behalf. And Peter says it this way, if you experience the physical sufferings, the trials, and the tribulations of this life, don't be surprised at it. Don't say, oh my goodness, what is going wrong? And what have I done wrong? And what's going on in this world? And I can't believe this and mope and complain and whine. Peter says to do the opposite of that, he says rejoice. That's kind of counterintuitive. But why does he say rejoice? Because we've been counted worthy to suffer, to share in the sufferings of Christ. Folks, I I don't know what's coming your way. I don't know what's coming our way. If you look around, the world seems to be going crazier and crazier every day. I, I thought the Jeremiah series prepared me for how nuts the world was going to get. And, uh, and I thought 2020 was, was kind of the, uh, the climax of world nuttiness. I'm not sure it's even close. I mean, 2021 has gone off with, with kind of a bang. I mean, we're running out of gas in Wilkes County right now. I mean, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. India and COVID and, and all sort of other things that are going on. There's terrorist attacks in Israel and on the cusp of maybe a, a true military conflict in the Middle East. And, and it, you just look at it, you're like, man, what's going on? And the possibility of persecution in a Western Hemisphere. Whatever you think of the Canadian pastor who was arrested for having church, and he probably could have been more nuanced in how he handled things, but they put him in handcuffs, essentially, for having church. I mean, we're living in a day and age where we should not be surprised at the suffering that's coming our way. Instead, we should rejoice. Let me give you a second response to Christ-centered suffering. It's this, don't suffer for evil deeds. Rather, acknowledge your blessings. Pick up in verse 14. He says, he writes, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So, if you're insulted, if you are are cursed, if people call you out for who you are as a Christian, then accept the fact that you're blessed. You have blessings from God. Acknowledge that. And then he writes in verse 15, But let none of you... Suffer as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or as a meddler. So here's what he says. Don't suffer for evil deeds. Acknowledge your blessings. He gives a list of things that we shouldn't suffer for. And these are pretty obvious, right? None of us as Christians should be guilty of murder. Can I get an amen? We should not be guilty of murder. We should not as Christians be guilty of theft. We shouldn't take what doesn't belong to us. We should not, in the next term, as an evildoer, it's kind of a general criminal activity or wicked activity. What Peter's saying, he's making a contrast. He says, we shouldn't suffer for things we deserve to suffer for. 
That's the bottom line. We shouldn't suffer as a meddler. That word is only used in this instance in the New Testament. It, it, it's a little difficult to interpret. Uh, the, the interpreters, the, the, the commentators are kind of all over the board with what it means. Meddler probably gets at the, at the best meaning of it. it. It essentially means a busybody. Have you ever gotten yourself in trouble because you didn't mind your own business, you minded somebody else's business? You decided that you were going to step in and, and try to figure out what was going on in someone else's life and you kind of realized, hold on a second, I probably needed to shut my mouth five minutes ago. And, and you, you'd already said it, you'd already done that, it already created kind of a mess. Here's what Peter's saying. We shouldn't suffer because we do evil. Because if you suffer because you do bad things, that's your own fault. Let me give you an illustration of that. Occasionally, I've been known to drive over the speed limit. I doubt I'm the only one guilty in in the worship service today. But there have been a time, there's been a time or two where I've been stopped by a police officer, state patrolman, and I've received a ticket. I'm ashamed to admit that. But when I've gotten a ticket and I've had to pay that ticket, I didn't have anybody to complain about. I wasn't experiencing religious persecution. That, that state patrolman didn't pull me over because he didn't like the color of my car. He wasn't targeting me. I broke a speed law. And because I broke a speed law, deservedly so, I faced the consequences for breaking a speed law. So I have no complaint. You can't complain when you're the one who's guilty and your guilt, your sin, creates consequences. Let me give you another illustration of that. In a previous ministry, at a previous church... There was a gentleman who broke the law. He was arrested for breaking the law. He was put in jail. And, and during that time of being put in jail, there was, a, there, was a tri, there was a kind of a wait and see period. He was let out of jail until the court case was made. And so during that period of time where he was out of jail after being arrested, he had a spiritual renewal in his life. God was doing some really good things, bringing him into a closer relationship with God. But here's, here's how, what he thought about it. He thought because he had gotten his life back in order with God, that God should basically free him of the consequences of the criminal activity that he had done. That was his mindset. And when he went to court, and when he faced the consequences, and they put him in jail for a number of years, he got mad at God. Because God didn't rescue him from the years he, did, he had to spend in jail. And he was wrong for that because he broke the law. And because he broke the law, yeah, God could work in his life and God can forgive him. But he had to deal with the consequences of his own behavior. What Peter's telling us here is as followers of Jesus, if we suffer because we're a Christian and doing the right things, we rejoice in that. But if we suffer because we're stupid or because we broke a law or because we got involved in a mess that was our own choice and all making, we ought not complain about that. That's, that's the point. It's the point he's making. Rather, we acknowledge our blessings. What blessings? Look at this. You are blessed because the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. Do you realize that no matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter who you see, no matter what you experience, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God gave you his spirit and he indwells you. I'm going to tell you, there have been moments in my life where I just needed to remember that. That where I was, I wasn't alone. God was with me. The Spirit of God and the Spirit of glory rests upon you. Meaning that the glory that God gave Jesus on the cross, we share in that, folks. 
You know why there are some moments we can just celebrate and worship and we can feel the very presence of God? It's because God's Spirit is dwelling in us and He's letting us share in the wonder of God's glory in that moment. You know why there are moments of utter peace in your life when you shouldn't have peace? Because God is letting you share in the Spirit of glory that rests upon you. That is a blessing. So no matter what we face tomorrow or next week, no matter if your suffering is cancer or religious persecution, or if it's someone insulting you, no matter what it is, folks, there's nothing that can take away the spirit of the glory of God that is resting upon you. And let me say, that's a blessing we ought to acknowledge and we ought to thank God for. So don't suffer for evil deeds. Rather, acknowledge the blessings you've received. I'll give you a third response. Response. Don't be ashamed in suffering. Don't be ashamed, rather glorify God. Look at verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, using that name, the Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. What does that mean? Don't be ashamed if someone calls you out for your faith. I'm going to tell you, we're living in a day and age that I think is more aptly described as post-Christian We talked about this quite a bit when we worked through our series in the book of Jeremiah. We no longer live in in an area of the world that adequately respects biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is seen as fundamentalist or backwards or dated or any number of other uh, adjectives that we could describe that, that minimize what the Bible says. And if you and I as followers of Jesus stand clearly on the biblical truth related to the fact that there is one God, not many gods, related to the fact that God made us in His image, we're not products of, of nature, that, that God designed us to be male and female, biological genders, it, biblical views of humanity and of deity and of sexuality and of exclusivity about the gospel of Jesus Christ, those are not going to be popular ideas in the world we live in. And if you and I stand up and proclaim the gospel and the gospel truths that permeate what the Bible teaches about who we are and how we interact, I'm going to tell you something. Some of us are going to be attacked for that. Some of us are going to be shamed for that. Some of us are going to be blackballed for that. Some of you know what, exactly what I'm talking about. In your place of employment, you have to be careful how much Christianity you verbalize in your place of employment because if you're not careful, then someone's going to get in trouble, maybe you. In fact, just recently in our county, that happened. A particular Christian was not allowed to say Christian things in the environment they were in because they were afraid of what might happen in, their, in that particular instance of, of, sharing, of talking about Jesus because they were afraid of the other people who were, who were going to take someone to court. I mean, it's, it's just sad. But that's where we live. And here's what Peter says. We shouldn't feel shame about that. We should not be ashamed. Folks, uh, it it is pretty easy sometimes to be bold standing in a pulpit because I'm standing behind God's Word saying what God says. But it might be difficult one day to stand in front of someone who's going to curse me or curse you 